I want to take just a moment to commend you as a congregation and thank you for your wonderful support of our elders. Our uh, initiative to call a high school pastor is typical of the times when our elders have gone through the process of finding a candidate and interviewing them and making sure they are a fit in our ministry. And they extend an invitation, but we always ask for our church to affirm the elders' call. And the effect that has on the person that we call to become a part of our pastoral staff is that they know they're not only invited by our elders, but they know that there is an affirmative call from the entire church. And typically, our affirmation vote is 98%, 99%, and that is a tremendous encouragement to any pastor who is becoming a part of our staff to know that they've been united, unanimously invited by our elders, and they have been overwhelmingly affirmed. The call has been overwhelmingly affirmed by our church family. I also want to ask you when you pray this morning to pray for Patrick Garcia's father, Dan Garcia, a wonderful Christian man. He is a physician in Louisville. He is having heart transplantation surgery this morning, and Patrick was to have uh, uh, been a part of this service this morning, but he has gone to Louisville to be with his father and the family, particularly this morning in this delicate surgery. Well, I read this past week that two of the most frequently prescribed medications in America today are Valium and Tagamet. Now, if you know anything about these prescriptions, you know that Valium is a muscle relaxant that is used to help people deal with the stresses of life, and Tagamet is a drug that calms the churning stomach that is plagued with ulcers. And if pharmaceuticals are any kind of barometer indicating where people are living to today, we must be a pretty uptight, stressed out, anxiety-ridden society. I heard about one patient who arrived late to his therapist's office. He walked in, tossed his cell phone on the couch, and pleaded, Doc, can you help me control my phone? It's ruining my life. Wonder if you can identify. I know one guy that sure can. Watch for the guy in green on this video.
Well, it's just a fact. What is supposed to help us can hurt us, and what is supposed to free us can end up enslaving us. Back in the 1970s, based on the expected evolution of computers and technology, there was a prediction that in two decades, the average work week would be dramatically shortened and that there would be more time for family. But in fact, the margins of free time have shrunk in the past 20 years, and the work week has actually increased. And this is part of what is driving our collective addiction to busyness, and now we're hooked, caught in a chaotic, frenzied spiral of this new lifestyle addiction to nonstop activity. Some people are chasing money, chasing power, chasing, chasing success, chasing, uh, chasing pleasure at a wilder, faster pace of life. And just like all addicts, they're out of control in their feelings, in their actions and reactions, yet they think they're perfectly normal. Hyper life, if we can call it that, hyper life is synonymous with progress in America. Keep moving forward without any limits on how far you can go, how fast you can get there. Don't pause, don't reflect, or you'll fall behind. You'll fail if you stop moving. So overscheduling has become the norm of the past two decades, and we've even coined a new word for it. We call it multitasking. So, if you're spinning 10 plates while you brag about your 80-hour work week and pop your Ambien to try to get some sleep, then you are hooked, and society is now dominated by beliefs and attitudes and thought processes that elevate the values of impulsiveness and instant gratification and loss of control. I want what I want, and I want it now. This is the ethic that rules the day, and scenes of shoppers in department stores during pre-Christmas sales, and road rage incidents, and passenger meltdowns on airplanes, and fan overreaction at sporting events. These are representative of the indicators that we're stressed out, uptight, and in a vicious circle. An exhaustingly fast pace of life promotes overstimulation, and it promotes overcommitment, which become chronic stressors that lead to behavioral and mood and attention disorders. This daily multitasking stimulates internal chaos and fragmented attention, and we can't see that we're causing our own physical, emotional, relational, behavioral health problems as we try to go faster and faster, we work harder and harder, and then we turn to medication to treat the unforeseen consequences. And one of the biggest costs we've experienced is the harm to our relationships. Instead of close bonds, technology and busyness have facilitated avoidance of person-to-person -person contact. It takes too much time. And so we have the illusion of connectedness with others by watching the number of likes that we accumulate on Facebook. But that's not, that is not life on life. And here's the biggest consequence. Our lack of margins in life is negatively affecting our vertical relationship
with our Heavenly Father as well. We've got so much focus on activity that in the process we have lost or we are in the process of losing something vital that He wants to give us for our good, and that is rest, a greater rest. Now, we tend to equate rest with sleeping in on a rainy morning or basking on the beach under an umbrella with a good book or with an afternoon snooze on the couch with the music of a marching band during halftime playing in the background. But the rest that we're going to look at this morning, the greater rest in Hebrews 4, describes something that is quite different. It is a better rest. It is a deeper inner rest. And you don't have to take time off work to experience, and you don't have to drive to a beach, and you don't have to spend any money. It's available to all every day. You can actually live in a state of constant rest. Is that even possible? Yes, it is. I want us to look at our text today, and true to the topic, I want to teach, I want to talk a little more deliberately, a little more slowly today. And here's what I want you to see from Hebrews 4, if you have it in your Bibles there or on your device, I want you to see, first of all, the offer of this greater rest. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands… Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. So what is this rest that is being offered? Well, the word in the original language of the New Testament means to cease or to stop something. And applied to God's rest, it means no more self-striving as far as our salvation is concerned. It means the end of trying to please God by our own efforts, because God's greater rest is a gift. It is a gift of His grace. So, when we come to Christ as our Savior, in simple childlike faith, when we come to Christ as our Savior in simple, childlike faith, we will find what I would call salvation rest. I think it's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Listen to it. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, there it is, I will give you rest. So, this rest is what I would call salvation rest. When you come to Jesus, you're weary and burdened. You come to Him to receive this rest. And it's the rest of knowing that your sins are forgiven. Is there any greater inward peace than knowing that your sins are, are forgiven and that the load of guilt has been lifted and that you have the assurance of a home in heaven? That's what we're talking about in this salvation rest. It is... It is the consciousness of knowing that I am His, and He is mine. And this is the greater rest. This is peace with God. And then, when we yield to Jesus and obey Him as Lord, then we experience what I would call submission rest. 
So you come to Jesus as Savior in childlike faith, and you receive this salvation rest. Then you yield to Jesus and obey Him as Lord, and then you enjoy submission rest. Look at Matthew eleven twenty nine 29, and 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke is used to harness two oxen together to pull a common load. And Jesus said, come and take my yoke upon you. What he means is be yoked with me. And if you are yoked with me, if you submit to my yoke, then there is a mystical rest that invades your spirit when you fully submit to his loving lordship. And this is the greater rest of what I would call the peace of God. So, you have submitting to Jesus as Savior, coming to Jesus as Savior, which produces in us salvation rest. And then we submit to Jesus as Lord, and by our obedience, we come to Him and experience this submission rest, both of them, salvation rest and submission rest. Warren Wiersbe ties it together this way. He says, it is by faith that we enter into His rest, and it is by obedience that His rest enters us. And we want both dimensions of this greater rest, coming to Jesus as Savior, submitting to Jesus as Lord, salvation rest, Submission rest. Friends, and the offer still stands today, just like it says in the text, but it won't stand forever. As we learned last week, the nation of Israel came out of bondage in Egypt, but they spent 40 years in the wilderness wandering and dying because of their unbelief and their disobedience. That kept them from entering the promised land. Their hard hearts kept them from crossing over into God's rest. And what would that be like? What would it be like to be in Israel to know that on this side of the Jordan is the wilderness, on the other side of Jordan is the promised land? But you can't enter because of a hardness of heart, because of a lack of faith and obedience. And the Hebrew writer warns Christians then and now, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Is there a worse feeling than to know you have fallen short of the rest that God wants to provide? And how is it that we fall short? Same way, the same way they did, unbelief and disobedience. So if you're wandering in the wilderness today, here's the good news. You can still cross over. You can still cross over into peace and rest. And when you do, no more guilt for sin. No more purposelessness in life. No more fear of death. You become a disciple of Jesus. You follow Him. You're forgiven by Him. You're changed by Him. You, from that point on, throughout your life, are on mission with Him. The offer of rest stands today. But you also see in this passage what I would call the obligations of rest. 
And we don't like the idea of being obligated to anyone, do we? And yet there are a couple of, couple of mandatory responses to God's grace that are very appropriate. And once again, in this text, just like the text we just looked at, it is first faith, and then secondly, it is obedience. That's the theme in this chapter 4, the need for faith and obedience. Here it is, faith in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them. Why? Because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. You see, you can go to church every day of the week and twice on Sunday and hear the Word, hear the good news, hear the gospel. But if it's never combined with faith, then you can't experience God's rest. Although the good news about God's rest was preached to Israel, the Jews, by and large, failed to believe it. Many of those who ate the loaves and fishes could not swallow the idea of a suffering Savior. Many of those who witnessed the miracles of healing refused to accept the diagnosis of their own soul sickness. Many of those who heard the message of the kingdom of God could not bring themselves to give up their preference for an earthly king and earthly kingdom. And I suppose it is somewhat like those today who associate with the church from time to time, affiliate with the church in some ways, but they've never really made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. They've never entrusted their lives to Him. They've never entrusted their souls to Him. And the message of Jesus has no real value to them. Because of their unwillingness to exercise their faith, we are obligated, there are obligations to this rest, and the first is that we're obligated to live a life of faithfulness. And we're also obligated to live a life of obedience. It's there in verses 6 and 7. It still remains that some will enter that rest and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. And here in chapter 4, as we saw last week in chapter 3, God is clearly warning about the urgency of exercising faith and obedience now. He says it again and again. Do it today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And I wish every person within the sound of my voice who has never trusted Christ as Savior or obeyed him as Lord would sense the urgency of a today decision. This verse points to the truth that God has set a limit on his offer of rest. His rest is still available today, but God only knows how long it is for each person. Obedience today, right now, that's all we can be sure of. That's all we can be sure of. And when we delay, it creates this hardening of the heart, especially when we've heard the voice of God in the inner soul, and every shrug of the shoulders says, I know I should, but not today. And every toss of the head says, I know I should, but not today. 
Obedience today, right now, that's what counts. And every time we take a pass on today, when it comes to obedience, it produces a hardening of the heart. It makes faith and obedience harder the next time. Joseph Alexander uh, put it this way, there is a line by us unseen that crosses every path. The hidden boundary between God's patience and His wrath, and today He's patient, and His rest is open to us. But that won't always be true. I want you to also see from this passage the character, what I would call a character of rest, and that's in verses 9 and 10, where it says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest, also rests from their own work, just as God did from His. Now, the Greek word that appears here for Sabbath rest is a special word. It's not found anywhere else in the Bible, just here, Sabbath rest rest, and it's a picture of a farmer who comes in after a hard day's work. He kicks off his dusty boots, and he lies down to rest. It's a picture of a traveler who completes his long journey and finally has a chance to collapse in a comfortable chair and stop moving. God has His Sabbath rest for His people. Hebrews 4.10 anticipates the final day when the faithful will cease from all effort and enter the presence of Jesus, as promised by the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verse 13, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Now, here's the sobering reality of all this we've talked about to me. Right now, we're living in a politically correct generation, a time when people have little or no conscience about being in denial concerning these truths that clearly explain what is required to experience God's rest on our last day of life. And what I'm afraid of is that many people today tell themselves lies and then they, in turn, believe those lies. They have family and friends who have died or are dying and have not accepted God's offer of rest. They've never professed any personal faith in Jesus. They have not been obedient to Him as Lord. They have not connected themselves to His church. They have not invested anything to speak of in building God's kingdom. They have not extended themselves in any effort to serve in the Lord's church. So there's no, there's no real justification for them to enter His rest because they've not worked in the Lord's harvest fields. Now, this is not to diminish or to devalue God's grace. But if you go to the funerals of these same loved ones, 
you will hear it in conversation around the casket. You'll often hear it in the eulogy. You'll sometimes hear it in the music and in the public testimonies that the deceased is saved in the welcoming presence of the Heavenly Father. They are secure in the presence of Jesus. They're experiencing the joys of heaven. Really, on what basis is this true? Listen, I know we want to be considerate of the living who grieve. I know we want to give comfort. I know we want to be loving and kind, and we must be careful to speak the truth in love. But I just wish that we could stop giving those who are still alive the idea that the life you live doesn't matter, that the choices you make don't matter, that the memorial service is just about pretense and ritual and formality, and no one really cares, and it isn't really all that important, and it doesn't really matter. Because, my friends, it matters more than anything. And that's why in Hebrews 4.11, we see the command of rest. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience, talking about Israel in the wilderness, talking about the Jews that rejected Jesus and called for His blood in the crucifixion. Let's see to it that no one falls by following their example of faithlessness and disobedience. And the word translated here, make every effort, means to make haste. It, it does not mean to redouble our efforts, to work harder and harder, to get busier and busier, doing more and more, so somehow we can earn our rest. No, it's, it's, it means make haste. Make haste. That's how we make every effort to enter that rest. God's rest comes by faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And we learn to function then from a position of rest, and it's the secret to avoiding burnout in life. <laughs> we are what the Apostle Paul says or calls co-laborers with God. We are yoked with Jesus. John Phillips gives an excellent illustration of what this means. Here's what he says. A man is swept out to sea in a homemade raft. Under the pressure of the wind and waves, the raft begins to come apart. The man on board struggles desperately to keep the raft afloat. His paddle, used repeatedly against the pounding waves, does nothing to bring him nearer the shore. He's exhausted, but when he looks up, he sees that a ship has come alongside and a crew throws him a line and invites him to come on board. And at once, he abandons his own efforts to save himself, and he accepts the rescued now offered to him. He is saved. And he paces the deck of the great ship with its solid planks beneath his feet and the massive engines driving the vessel on its way. He is secure. Then he's taken to the captain who says, welcome aboard, friend. And after some conversation, the captain continues. And now we'd like 
your help. We're, we're shorthanded. And the cook could sure use some help in the galley. Would you be willing to serve? Now, no one's going to pitch him back overboard if he refuses to help. But his gratitude is such that he is only too willing to help get the necessary work done. Helping out on board has not secured his salvation, but now that he has been saved alive, a hundred tasks beckon to him. And here's the verse of Scripture that further illumines this path forward as we live. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, I think it's tragic that an entire generation wandered through the desert wilderness for 40 years simply because they failed to enter God's rest by faith and obedience. And how tragic that the Jews, by and large, rejected salvation in Jesus. But the Hebrew writer is appealing to them again, and he's appealing to us today. He's saying, don't make the mistakes of your ancestors whose unbelief and disobedience caused them to miss God's rest in the promised land. Don't make the mistakes of your forefathers who rejected faith in Jesus as Savior, refused to obey Jesus as Lord. And yet, how many in our generation are right there? They are in line to miss God's rest for the very same reasons. So are you resting in the Lord today? You can. If you have embraced faith, you can. If you keep your obedience up to date, will you pray with me? Father, you always want what's best for us, your children. And so often we settle for so much less. We're into escapism, busyness. We don't like quiet reflection, deep thoughts, deep conversations. We want to keep it light, keep it superficial. Live a kind of a sitcom, unreal existence. Lord, we embrace these truths. We want the deep rest, the greater rest, the salvation rest, the submission rest. So, Lord, enlarge our faith and fortify us in our commitment to obey Jesus as Lord. We pray in his name. Amen.